actually lives out their creed. Nobody does. Hypocrisy is the norm. But the only difference is, is that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you're forgiven for your hypocrisy. And you get the witness of the Holy Spirit to start to change you from the inside out. And a Christian should be able to look back over their lives and say, I'm way less hypocritical than I used to be, but I still got a way to go. Everybody has two lives that they live. The one they live when they're around people they know and the one they live when they're around strangers. The most honest people are the ones whose two lives are most similar. As a follower of Jesus, it's clear that neither of those sides meets God's standards. As Pastor Daniel will be teaching, that's where grace and forgiveness come in to help us achieve what God wants to do in our lives. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 49 as he continues his message, Setting the Stage. Now as we move on, verse 27. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. Wow. I mean, how different is that? That Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, a devouring wolf. This describes Benjamin as a tribe that is violent in spirit. And if you go on and you read through your Bible, you find things like the tribe of Benjamin. They waged war with all the tribes on account of the wickedness of Gibeah. You can read that in Judges chapter 20. On other occasions, it had distinguished archers and slingers from this tribe, so they were a tribe of war. The judge Ehud and Saul were both from this tribe, and if you read the history, both Ehud and Saul didn't have great goes at it. So the idea here is that Benjamin is functioning like a devourer, that it speaks of violence. And sure enough, That is exactly what happens with the tribe of Benjamin. All through the scriptures, Benjamin is always seen in a warlike capacity. Now, going on, verse 28. All of these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father spoke to them. And he blessed them. He blessed each one according to his own blessing. Then he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people Bury me and my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephraim the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephraim the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heath. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into his bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. So notice this. The last act of Jacob's life was to bless his sons. Now, you know I'm going to make an application with that, right? Like, how can you not? Like, it's just like sitting there being like, just apply this. Brothers and sisters, be a blessing. 
Live your lives to be a blessing to the people around you. So if you're at school, bless the people around you. Why? Because you can. Because God has blessed you, so just bless them. If you're at your job, don't do your job just unto your boss. Do your job as unto the Lord. And let your company that you work for get the blessing. If you're married, just bless your spouse. If you have kids, bless your kids. Everyone you meet, just bless them. Because we learn from Jacob, I mean, Jacob's last act is to bless his sons. Pronounce God's blessing. Now, of course, we went through it, and prophetically, not all of it seemed to be a blessing, but he did bless them. And then notice, he gives them his final wishes, and his final wishes have everything to do with he does not want to be buried in Egypt. He keeps going back to the cave of Machpelah, purchased by Abraham, Genesis chapter 23, Sarah was buried there, Genesis 23. Abraham was buried there, Genesis 25. Isaac was buried there, Genesis 35. Rebekah was buried there. We just found that out. And then Leah as well. So don't forget, remember when we started, we said that the book of Genesis and the whole Bible is about three things, right? God, the people, and the land, right? We've been seeing God running through it. Now we see that God has called the people to himself Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now Jacob's 12 sons. But the only piece of the land that the patriarchs owned was just this cave. That's all they owned, a burial place. So as you leave the book of Genesis, you find out that Jacob, although he has not seen the fulfillment of God's promise of a land, his heart is there. He wants to be buried in that same place. The one piece of property they own in the promised land, he's like, don't bury me here, bury me there. I want to be with my grandfather, my father, my wife, all these people. That's the one place we have. And don't miss the reality that from Genesis to Revelation, God, the people in the land keep coming up. Because the book of Exodus, as we get into it in the coming weeks, you're going to find that God is going to take them from Egypt and talk to them about going to the promised land that he promised to them. Now, sure, they're not going to actually step foot in the promised land as a whole group until the book of Joshua. But God has promised them a land, and he's going to fulfill it. Now, on that point, if you're reading deep into the news, we need to pray for what's going on in Israel right now. The Bible commands that we pray for the peace of Jerusalem and Israel. We need to pray. We need to seek the Lord. Because the news is not really sharing the news of what's going on there. It's kind of buried behind a whole lot of stuff. If you're on the internet, on Twitter, there's people who are there and they're talking about the number of rockets that are going off there and people are getting hurt. So we need to pray for the peace of Israel because God has promised a people and a land. Now what's interesting, if you get to the end of the book of Revelation, what do you find? That God brings a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. It's fascinating. So although we get an earthly possession, our ultimate possession is a heavenly one. But we should still pray for God, the people, and the land. So Jacob's final wishes, please don't bury me here. I want to be buried in the promised land. And notice, verse 33, it says this, And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into his bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. You know what I love about this? The Bible... It's God's word, right? Notice that he's done speaking. He puts his feet up under the covers and he breathes his last and he goes to be gathered with his people. You know what I love about that? I realize that death is scary. 
Why? Because we're not there yet. And all we have recollection of is this life. But one of the hopes for the people of God is that we'll be gathered together to our people. And I don't know about you, I'm not looking to get to heaven one day quicker than God has ordained it for me. I want to be here for a long time. I want to see what I look like with long gray dreads, but like bald on top. I want to see that. That's going to be high comedy. But you know what? When it is time for me to go home, I'm going to get to meet the Apostle Paul. I'm going to get to meet great missionaries that I've read about. I mean, I want to ask Patrick what it was like sharing the gospel with the Druids. Like, I want to know what that was like. I want to talk to Jim Elliott and say, hey, Jim, you know, what was it like on that beach with the Aka Indians? I want to meet Wycliffe, who was running for his life, just trying to translate the Bible into the common language. I want to meet Martin Luther and see if he's still kind of crusty in heaven. Because if you read the writings of Martin Luther, Martin Luther says some crazy things. I want to meet all these people. I can't wait to, that's going to be a glorious reunion. You know, when the Lord returns or when he takes us home to be with him, that's going to be a wild time. Every tribe, nation, and tongue together worshiping God as one people. Right now we meet in all these churches, language barriers, generational barriers, and then that's all going to be gone. It's just going to be the Lord and his people. Don't miss that, that When this life is passed, we're going to be gathered to the people. We're going to be among the company of the faithful, not because of our own faithfulness, because we're not, but because of the faithfulness of the Lord. Even when we are faithless, it says he is faithful. Now, going on to chapter 50. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. Now when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. In my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the house of Joseph, his brothers and his father's house, Only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with them both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. Then they came to the threshing floor of Adat, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father, and when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Adat, they said, It is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name was called Abel Misraim, which is beyond the Jordan. So his sons did for him, just as he commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought 
with the field from Ephraim the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who went up with him to bury his father. So here we see quite simply the death and the burial of Jacob. He wanted to go on up. Notice that they embalmed him. So they said embalming took 40 days. The Egyptian mourned for him for 70 days. Now, what's interesting is the royal mourning period for the Egyptians of that time was 72 days. So if a pharaoh died, they would mourn 72 days. For Jacob, they mourned 70 days, which means that they recognized Jacob, Joseph's father, as a great man. They gave him, as you can see, this whole thing is about the funeral procession. Joseph goes before Pharaoh and says, hey, listen, my dad made me promise that we would bury him in the land of Canaan. Can we go? He says, absolutely, you should go. And so they head on out. Not only was Joseph and his family going, but also it says all the leaders of Egypt went as well. This was a royal procession. So much so that when they got to the land of Canaan, they saw the morning and the Canaanites said, man, this is a great morning. And so they named the place Abel Misraim, which literally means the morning of Egypt. So this is a great funeral procession. And Joseph is buried in the land of Canaan. His resting place for his physical body is in the land of promise, just like Abraham's and just like Isaac's. So I like this because, listen, Joseph simply was obedient to the will of his father. Do I need to make an application? Of course I do. Jesus always did those things which please his father, and the children of God should always do those things that please our father in heaven. So brothers and sisters, just as Joseph was obedient to Jacob, I want to encourage all of us to be obedient to the will of our father. What that means is that if in God's word, God has revealed something that says, hey, this does not make me happy, this is not how I want you to live, then what should we do? Just not do that. Because God is not the great cosmic killjoy. God says, I love you enough not to want you to hurt yourself. That's how it works. God knows ultimately what is in our best interest and what isn't. And so God says, it's not like a big bummer. God simply says, I love you enough that I don't want you to hurt yourself. And a good father does that, right? You know, it's like, I always talk with Obadiah, because Obadiah, he's getting to that point now where he digs tools. Tools are cool. And they are cool, you know? But I'm not going to let Obadiah play with a nail gun. Unless I don't, you know, I don't even want to think of what my son can do with a nail gun. Because I love him. So I say, look, Obadiah, you can't play with the nail gun unless I'm there with you showing you how it works. Why? Because I'm a great killjoy, right? Obadiah, like, I have a great time with the nail gun. Look, I can nail the dog to the wall. I can nail my sister to the dog. Now, I'm a bummer for not letting him do that, right? But isn't it in his best interest? Because I can see my son. I love my son. He's, if you haven't met Obadiah, you got to meet him. He's good people. Obadiah, just, he likes to have fun. But Obadiah would be like, look at this. Because that's how, you know, you just look at it, makes a noise, and the nail flies out. And then he'd be like, Ow. So, see, that's why God asks us to be obedient, because he loves us. And a lot of things that we think are fun, because we have a limited view of the ramifications of it, a lot of it's like playing with a nail gun. 
And yes, you don't get the fun of playing with the nail gun, but we don't realize that the fun of playing with the nail gun is actually not in our best interest or anybody else around us. It's actually destructive. And that's why God asks us to be simply obedient. But we're all like children. We all don't like to be told that we can't play with the nail gun. But I really want to. I mean, it's fun. And it's always fun until someone gets a nail in their arm. Or somebody gets a nail in his hands and in his feet. See, Jesus died on a cross to forgive us for all of our disobedience. And we all know that we've been disobedient, right? I was talking to someone just the other day. They're like, I just don't understand. I mean, you know, you're a Christian. Why would you believe in Jesus? I'm like, because I've done things wrong. Oh, come on. You know, you're just growing. I'm like, well, hold on a second. I'm like, I walked him through. I took him to the Ten Commandments, you know. And I walked him through. You guys have heard this, right? Where you say, you know, oh, you know, so you don't really think you did anything wrong? No. Okay, so, well, listen, have you ever stolen anything? No, no. I mean, I mean, when you were a kid, you never took a piece of gum from the convenience store? Oh, yeah, I did that. Cheat on your taxes a little bit? Oh, yeah, I did that. Well, the Bible says that you're a thief. And I'm like, did you ever kill anybody? Nope, nope, never killed anybody. Well, Jesus said that if you hate somebody, then you've murdered them in your heart. Did you ever say, I hate you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. The Bible says that Shouldn't commit adultery. Ever commit adultery? I'm not even married. Jesus said that if you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. He's like, oh, yeah. I mean, all guys understand what that is. Okay, good. Like, one more. You ever tell a lie? He's like, well, of course. I'm like, not even a big one, a little one. Oh, yeah. I'm like, so, man, we did four questions. You're a lying, thieving, adulterous murderer. And, you know, I'm, and I said to him, like, look, I just messed with you with that, but I'm the same thing. And so is everybody. That's the point. That's the point. This is why Christians believe in Jesus. Because the point is, is that if we're really honest with ourselves and look at who we are and what we do, and if we really think about them to their logical conclusion, we all come to the conclusion that we need serious help. And that we really don't understand The ramifications, spiritually speaking, socially speaking, emotionally speaking, and physically speaking, of what our actions are. And because we realize that we come to a subtle understanding that although I want to be God, I really am not God. And although I pretend like I know everything, I really don't know very much. I'm going to start to trust that God knows more than I do. And so I'm simply going to follow And what's interesting is that everybody's a follower. It's just a matter if who you're following will actually get you to the proper destination. Everybody's a follower. I'm sure there's someone here, I'm not following anybody. Yes, you are. Somebody is setting the pace for your life. And there's nothing worse than you saying, well, I set the pace for my own life because you don't have a clue what tomorrow's going to bring. So you're the worst person to follow if you're following just yourself. But people have been following themselves for as long as humanity has been in existence. And we have all sorts of evidence. Just watch the news of when people follow the dictates of their own thoughts. Just watch the news. Read a history book. It's a mess. But a Christian says, you know what? I realize I don't know the way. I'm going to follow 
somebody who lived the right way. I'm going to follow Jesus because Jesus is acceptable to God. So I'm going to follow his way. Not saying that you're going to get it all right. I told those guys, like, oh, well, what do Christians really know? I'm like, listen, all Christians know is that they're forgiven. Because he said, all Christians are hypocrites. I love that. That's my favorite line. All Christians. I'm like, listen, everybody's a hypocrite. The only difference is that Christians are forgiven for their hypocrisy because of the death of Jesus. That's the only difference. I'm like, listen, yes, Christians are hypocrites. Absolutely. But so is everybody else. Hypocrisy is the norm with humanity. Nobody actually lives out their creed. Nobody does. Hypocrisy is the norm. But the only difference is, is that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you're forgiven for your hypocrisy. And you get the witness of the Holy Spirit to start to change you from the inside out. And a Christian should be able to look back over their lives and say, I'm way less hypocritical than I used to be, but I still got a way to go. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I'm going to be, but I'm moving in the right direction. And that's what the gospel does. So brothers and sisters, just be obedient. Just do what God asks you to do. Trust him. Because we all have ample evidence of what it looks like to go our own way and to trust our own stuff, right? If I opened up the floor and said, okay, who wants to share all the great ideas you had and how they panned out? We could be here for a long time, right? I mean, we'd be here just for a long time with me talking. I got so many stories for you. And each one of us could do that if we're honest, right? When we chose our own way and where we ended up. Now, Jacob is buried. Joseph and his brothers did what was asked. Now look at what happens in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messages to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin. For they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of your servants, of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for me, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, notice this. Now that Jacob is gone, Joseph's brothers are like, now that our father's gone, Joseph may take revenge for what we did to him. They're concerned. Our dad's not here. Joseph wouldn't do it in front of our dad. So, they make up a story. They concoct a story. Oh, you know, our dad said this. But what's amazing about it is that they don't need to make up a story because God has already revealed to Joseph why things went on. Jesus is real. Today, Pastor Daniel taught about the death of Jacob, which must have been a very sad time for his children. But we were reminded that for the followers of God, death is a transition to an even greater, more glorious existence than anything on this earth. 
Being able to be with those of the faith who have died before us and with Jesus and the Father, nothing could be better than that. And that's what we have to look forward to. Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will close out the teaching, Setting the Stage, which will also bring an end to the series called Brothers. You'll hear about the aftermath of the death of Jacob and the contrast in attitude between Joseph and his brothers. They're still feeling guilt over what they did, while Joseph had the viewpoint of heaven, seeing the benefit of what he went through. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue this teaching called Brothers next time. Until then, may God bless.